welcome to Talking Tropes. Where we are pushing the troposexual agenda. I'm David. And I'm Hannah. And today we're going to be talking about a trope called queerbaiting. That's right. Heads up if also... If you're gay, <laughs> we, we're not. So we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, please correct us if we're wrong on anything. But also, I think we're probably agreed on this one. Um, that queer baiting is generally not great. It's generally pretty problematic. If you're a fan of the show Supernatural, sorry, we're not, but we're going to talk oh, about it a lot. Right. So, But we get it because we know what you're there for. <laughs> you're not there for, like, character development or, um, like... I think some people are. Okay, but I think most people are just there for the the guys with the deep gravelly voices looking at each other like a lot all right so so what is queer baiting david explain it for people who don't know queer baiting queer baiting more or less i mean there's shades of gray here but um 50 of them there's an infinity of them <laughs> um basically this is when a writer inserts references to homosexuality or queer relationships or queer attraction for some number of characters, but with no intention of actually following through and making them an actual pairing or, or a couple. Or even just resolving that sexual tension in any way or ever addressing right. it. It's not their goal because the, the premise of queer baiting is that the intent of the author is for, you know, audiences to be attracted to the will they won't they nature of the queerness, not not just the particular relationship, but the queerness in general, and right. to show up just being like, are they going to come out? Are they? No, they're not, <laughs> because the writers don't want to, and the censors don't want them to. Yeah, it's it's a real tease. It's a um, tease. Though I think it's also interesting that we are, in fact, in the year of our Lord, 2018, um, where it's not... Praise be to Jesus. <laughs> okay, not the year of my Lord, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the year of a guy. The year of a guy. Let's let's quantify, let's, you know, let's copyright that. Year of a guy, 2018. 2018. Um, <laughs> that, it's 2018. We've made some progress, especially on TV, for gay and lesbian and trans people absolutely you can find gay representation you can find queer representation on pretty much any channel in some form or another right um, except for the christian station or i don't is that a is that a channel i'm sure there's some public access christian stuff right so somewhere. yeah public access maybe less so but pretty much any <laughs> channel you can find some representation even on cartoon network or nickelodeon or disney channel you know they have something for you now right even if it's not a lot even if it's not great right there's something obviously it there's should be something. better can always be better hopefully we'll get better um but there's something and so let's believe that we can be better <laughs> That's why I find this trope in particular to be so egregious in right. this day and age because, and especially anyone who tries to play or claim like a censorship 
right. uh, like argument about it because there's a gay person somewhere. Like no way is this right. being censored. It's the well, writers it's, it's censoring a, themselves. It's a question because you you never know what's going on behind the scenes exactly. But like if it is being censored, then like my complaint is then not like you know I, I i can't say like okay well then it's allowed because you gotta fight the, these battles but right? like let me just say this glee was on the air in what right. 2009 it's been <laughs> it's been a minute since modern family came out yeah like clearly these shows are financially successful they have vocal fan bases that buy shit like <laughs> that buy shit <laughs> i mean you gotta they tune in and buy shit like yeah give them those. they tune in for the buy shit if i oh snap <laughs> um I, I i also like buy shit anyway um like do you want to just dive into one of these shows one of these queer baiting shows yeah i mean we already brought up supernatural let's so talk about it let's talk about it all right you know, so I'm watching the pilot for this show, and I'm thinking, I, I don't understand what women like about this show. What do you think? Oh, what? Me? Why, um, do, why do women like this show? <laughs> See, I'm the wrong woman to ask that question to, right. because uh, I watched the pilot of this show a while ago, way back in, like, wow, maybe... 2011 2012 something like that mm -hmm. um i did not enjoy it i thought it was pretty dumb and it's these... it's a show that's written for men is what i got from the pilot at yeah least. it's it's written very directly all the 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 metal music or, or you know the the rock music and like the constant references to like getting some and like you know the the women and and yeah. geez, it's just the the total lack of like female characters to to relate to <laughs> is just astounding to me for a show that's become so popular with young girls and older girls just yeah women well, in general true. girls and women all of them um but then you start to understand it when you understand what they're liking about it is this gay subtext, which I think is extremely pronounced even early on in the show. Where would you say it begins? Okay, I would say it begins in the pilot because of the constant references to the men having a secret double life and going on hunting trips together. And, like, you may say that's reaching, but I think that you know, this is like an interpretation that was made by the audience. Like the idea of having a double life that you keep secret from your wife and family, that you keep secret from the women in your life while you go off and run off with the hunters who are primarily men, like mostly men in the first season. And it's very much a cowboy trope. Yeah, it, it's very, it's, it's, yeah. A lot of that was gay subtext, like... Like, cowboys were actually, like, incredibly, historically gay. It just feels really Brokeback Mountain to me. Yeah. Like, it's the brokest back of all the mountains. <laughs> this, the hunters, you know, going on their hunting trips uh -huh. out in the woods where there's no watchful eyes. No one can see who and where. So, so that's the gay subtext that I'm picking up right from the beginning. And then you start to see, like, 
constant references to the fact that any time that they're, you know, involved with a woman, it ends pretty badly. Yeah. Um, whether it's like Ruby or Hashtag tragic. Yeah, it's like women. Women are not to be trusted. You can only find true love from the holy masculine angel who's good. <laughs> so that's you know. That's my takeaway, is that Supernatural is an incredibly gay show, and if the writers don't admit that, then they're bad people. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, um, the character Dean, who is one of the main characters... He's um, the older brother, he talks like this. He's really gruff, he's got a very much of a womanizing personality. Yeah, but in like in like a very cartoony way. Yeah, he's it's just like, like... Let's go to a strip club, let's hang out, and go, go, get, go get some girls, go pick them up. <laughs> Yeah, it's very I'm much Dean. like the high school, almost like the high school bully who's like extra mean to gay kids because he's repressing a lot of shit. He's so in the closet. It's um, ridiculous. And like that's Dean's thing too, is that he really does repress things. So a lot of people have made the argument that he's repressing his homosexuality as well. Yeah. Um, he also has a lot of Freudian slips. Some of which I Which are recorded. all played for humor, which are honestly I find rude, but I guess people are into them. Well some of them <laughs> I think are unintentional from the writers, but some of them I have no idea like what the writers are thinking. Like there's a scene where Dean is uh is well, so talking Dean's about supposed love interest is an angel named Castiel. Um their ship right. name is Destiel. Yeah. Um and Which I don't understand why it's not Dean Stiel. Like, no, because the... Destiel sounds like a thousand times better. How how is that true? Deck De De can be anything. It could be Deborah, or. But like, De there's only one Denton person. It's fine. You know what they're talking about. Fine. <laughs> I just think that I just think that we need to be better about our ship names. That's okay, all. Okay, that's fair. I they need I, to be clear. I will say this: I prefer the portmanteaus to like taking one thing about the character with another thing about the other character and, like, making that the ship name. Yeah, that's probably true. Because that just gets very confusing. Yeah. Anyway, sidetrack. Um, but Dean, at one point, when he's talking about how he was saved and how he's got, like, these handprints all over him, mm -hmm. he's like, I was not groped by an angel which is a weird word choice. I would never describe it that way. Um, and then you have, oh, oh man, this is the best line in the whole show. It's, um, <laughs> D Dean is like talking to Castiel about how he's never had sex before, which I don't even know if angels are supposed to have sex, okay. but he's just like, all right, we're going to, we're going to a strip club on me and the line that he uses is Bert and Ernie are gay and you're not gonna die a virgin not on my watch which is a Just weird like sentence of nothing? oh he says there's two things I know okay. one Bert and Ernie are gay and two you're not gonna die a virgin not on my watch that's a very gay line that's the gayest line I've ever heard that's so, like, that ends the argument right there for whether, like, you should canonically consider these two characters to be homosexual. Because straight people do not talk like this. No. This, that's just a fact. What on earth? Wow. Yeah, so, 
I basically jumped around and just watched a bunch of like Dusty L episodes. Um, yeah, they're pretty gay. It sucks that the writers <laughs> are never gonna ever consummate that and like at this right. point i also think it might have to do with some latent homophobia from the actors themselves um, um that's possible have is, you seen any interviews that suggest that yeah basically every time he gets brought up at a con um like i watch they a make couple fun of panels of yeah they make fun of it uh they're very quick to shut that down like a lot of people in the audience also shut that down mm-hmm. which i find very interesting I mean, it's an um, it's also a kind of dynamic that you see with um, Charles Xavier and uh, yeah. Magneto in the the re- the recent X Men franchise. And I mean, the but in every X Men franchise. franchise, right? They're but pretty, more so now that yeah. they're hotter than they <laughs> hotter previous. and younger. Well, arguably, I mean, Ian McKellen is a stud, but he's a stud at any age. Um, but yeah, so it's. It's a similar dynamic where you have the fans bring it up because they think it's, you know, cute or... Or it's like, meaningful to them. Or a it's lot meaningful. Of these people, like, it's so important to see yourself reflected in media. And it's something that queer people are often robbed of. Right. But, like, my issue would then be the the amount of straight women who like Supernatural for the same reason that straight women like Yaoi or, you know, other iterations of, of gay media that doesn't really reflect actual gay people, but more, you know, a, a hyper cartoonified version of homosexuality. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that definitely... Like, I think that's an important thing to talk about. I don't know if it's exactly on topic of, like, queer baiting, I guess, because to me... I think it is, because the idea of queer bait is that you're appealing to a group of people that want to see LGBT relationships for a variety of reasons, though. It's not always because representation is inherently good. Sometimes it's for... You know, purposes. exactly. Um, actually, uh, Rantasmo, um, ha- is a, a YouTuber with, with a really great episode about, um, Yowie fangirls and the, you know, the, the connotations of that and, and, and ramifications. I highly recommend that people check it out. Um, it's Rantasmo and it's the, the video is called Yowie fangirls need more gay. Um, because that's his series needs more gay, which is a great, great show. Um, Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, I think you also can go the other way. Um, and I think this is almost even more explicit in TV shows. Um, dudes are into lesbians, you know, (laughs) that's very true. And this is also like a thing that, you know, you expect them to play with for the male audience, for the male gaze. And it's, it's not always a positive thing. Um, but it's it's hard to, you know, say no to representation. It's like, well, I'll take what I can get, but <laughs> could it be less Terrible. fetishized? Yeah, for sure. I think if we're going to talk about, uh, like, weird sort of fetishy <laughs> queer bidding, yeah. uh, I think we really got to talk about Sherlock. Let's do it. Because um, it's present really right from the beginning in Sherlock. Oh, yeah, like, because Sherlock is, like, of course he's 
like gay or if not gay you know like he's queer I in mean, some way he's not straight like he's he's odd but i don't know if he's queer what what's the uh, in the show itself or in uh in, yeah, in the extended media of sherlock i well i mean oh god can't get too far into the extended media of sherlock because then we'll be here all day um yeah. but i think just in the show itself and like one of the very first scenes um when the like john and sherlock are going out to dinner to sort of get to know each other um and the restaurant owner who knows sherlock like we assume he knows sherlock he says ah like my favorite customer you know like that sort of thing Right. Um, and just sort of like uh, my my favorite gay customer. How's your gay night going? Well, Are you he basically feeling very gay this evening. He basically Can I interest you in some gay flowers? In that he goes, ah, and anything for your date. And then right. John gets very defensive, and Sherlock just doesn't even acknowledge it. And it's like, oh, well, right. he might be, you know. But like, this is the weird thing: is like how much it's played for comedy, and for like, oh, it's cute he's uh he's so embarrassed because because Watson is in the closet and he's embarrassed about it right like it's still just as fetishized as anything oh you know. for sure and i think it's a... not played as real actual romantic blooming feelings i guess i don't know it's so hard because like i absolutely see the romantic situation and like Right. Well, I mean, you know, the way that it's, I just think the way that it's framed, you have like in that pilot, Mycroft is, uh, Sherlock's older brother mm -hmm. is, is talking about, you know, you've just, you've moved in with a man you've just met and now you're solving crimes with him. Might we expect a happy announcement by the end of the week? You know, like the, it's a joke about how close they are. Which like is all the more fucking baffling to me because Mark Gaddis himself is gay. <laughs> so I just like don't understand uh, his bizarre just like acquiescence to all of the like gay jokes like at the expense of right. gay people and gayness. And as... I get the sense that most gay people don't like jokes at their expense. Yeah, from... but my gay friends yeah but for some reason mark gaddis is like no i'll write it into a show <laughs> yeah. which is like very confusing to me and like there have been many an interview where like in the same breath as calling for and this is true of a lot of these shows um and other media uh mm -hmm is the creators will call for, oh, yeah, we should definitely have more gay representation. But, like, this show isn't actually about being gay, so, like, why would right. I ever include someone's sexuality? Like, it's... Right, the story doesn't call for it is the common defense. Like, right, which what, is always what does bullshit. The, well, how does the story call for heterosexuality? Exactly. Or any sexuality? Or asexuality right. you know why do we why are characters assumed straight until proven gay exactly and then even more to that point i think um a great way to spot queer mating can be yeah. if um you start to notice that maybe some characters have some sexual tension um and if you just flip the gender of one of them 
<laughs> so that it's a heterosexual They would easily couple, be together. You're like, oh, well, yeah, they'd, yeah, they'd get together. That makes sense. <laughs> right. There would be no question about it. Exactly. But because we question it more if it's queer-coded or, you know, or queer. Right. And, and I mean, for a long time... If they wanted to have queerness in a movie, it did have to be coded. Thanks, Hayes. Right, of course. There was literal (laughs) Um, codes on film that you couldn't portray them or or that if you did, they had to die. Right. Um, So, you know, that's where a lot of these tropes come from. Certainly. Um, But I think, again, it's the year of a guy 2018 and we need to move past it. Um, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, the the whole thing kind of hinges on the idea that the author is even capable of saying that a character is or isn't queer. I mean, if we just go based on the idea that if you've written fan fiction about it, it's as canon as the canon, then it then this whole thing kind of falls apart and it's just a matter of, like, who's, who's the author at this moment, right? Um... I mean, yeah. So, like, the idea is, like, why why does your fan fiction carry less weight than the, act, the, the person saying that they claim godhood over the story? Well, I mean, that's getting into canon and not canon and... Right. But I think, I think that's worth talking about. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to quote a guy named Roland Barthes. Which is a bad accent way of saying Roland Barth. Um, and he was famous for his work, The Death of the Author, which it basically refers to the idea... Oh my god, was he sick? No, he never existed at all. <laughs> oh. There was never an author. That's the point. So he's got this quote, which is that the the modern writer is in no way supplied with a being which precedes or transcends his writing. He is in no way the subject of which his book is the predicate. So it's not that a writer creates the writing. It's that the writing is the thing. And the writer is something that we use to contextualize the thing. But it doesn't. But what they say, if somebody says that Dean isn't gay, I can just as easily say that he totally is. Mm -hmm. Because I can provide textual evidence to the fact from the show. Yeah, that absolutely. He's super in the closet. <laughs> and I mean, in general, I think I agree with you that that's a good way to look at media and to look at art. Um, but we, but we usually don't. When we think about representation, we think about what does the author say about the character, and that's where we get into issues like Dumbledore syndrome. Oh boy, uh, some recent developments on that front. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get into that. Woo. Uh, so, in a recent interview, David Yates, the director of the Fantastic Beasts movies and some of the other Harry Potter movies, um, came out and said that in this movie there would not be uh, any like textual evidence of Dumbledore being like explicitly gay, even though we will have both young Dumbledore and young Grindelwald, a wizard who can into the... Well, I mean... It's implied in the book, sort of, but then it's kind of word of Godded later. Is right. We'll we'll discuss how implied it is, but in what it's a commonly accepted fact that Dumbledore had a relationship with Grindelwald in his youth, 
and this yeah. stars both of them in their youth. They they got down to business off screen, <laughs> off the page. Yeah. Um. Well, but like to me, it's just crazy to have those two characters in a movie together and that like acknowledged the fact that they were ever together. Especially when the literal subtext of the whole movie series is about you know prejudice in that time period right i mean the whole thing is like the nomadges and the all the shit with that business listen those movies are sloppy (laughs) and i don't even want to get into it (laughs) but the the, we can we can do a whole trope dissection of that hot mess (laughs) later all right Um, i'll be honest i did not see fantastic beasts and i hadn't zero interest to <laughs> it's fine you didn't really miss much <laughs> um, um but yeah so Dumbledore so, is gay this is a fact now but by what but also, by what measure it's a fact via word of god or the trope that you mentioned earlier word of gay yes um where the gayness of the character is not confirmed by the text, but by the author, which pretty much contradicts that fun little quote from our friend Bart yeah, that you read Bart earlier. Bart would be so angry about J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling trying to, like, dictate after the text is already complete how the audience is supposed to perceive her work. Like, that's like, cheating. Listen, I, th- I think fans were also angry. I think that, I think <laughs> that the term for that, because there's text subtext and then i believe that that would be considered context but someone someone will correct me about that because my discourse terminology is rusty um i mean it sounds correct to me so yeah but there's there's all types of text there's hypertext and super text (laughs) that's not very different ultra mega text no hypertext is actually part it's don't worry about it we're moving on so let's let's go through some of the like the word of gay characters who like may not have seemed gay at the time but in retrospect maybe they they were a little bit more queer than we gave them credit for all right hit us with that list hit me with that list um all right (laughs) um so you've got a lot in tv for sure um you've got geita and hoshi from uh from battlestar galactica oh yeah um so they were outed in webisodes, so they're not, like, it's unclear if that's, like, super canon, but it's canon enough. Right. Um, See, like, that to me says, so, like, I think that's a discussion also, um, especially considering that we are going to talk about Legend of Korra. Um, right. About whether or not can uh, technically canon materials that are created after the end of a show or something that originated as a show. Right. And we tend to give more credit also to to ones that are written by the author of the show itself so that you don't have like these differing interpretations happening. Right. So so that's, you know, whether whether that's valid either. Um I just read the two the two um Cora extended universe comics that just came out called turf wars parts one and two uh part three isn't out yet it's coming out in june, june. and both of them deal heavily with the korasami um relationship relationship and homosexuality in the avatar universe in general yeah um so we'll talk about that in a bit um rawls in the wire um 
that is a character that um, a writer explicitly confirmed during an interview was gay. You know, a lot of these, they are pretty heavily implied in the show, but some of them are less so. Um, let's see. Um, there's also from Disney's Gargoyles, <laughs> there's Lexington, the Gargoyle. Wait, someone word of gayed? The gargoyles? Anybody remember gargoyles anymore? Is that after this generation? Sorry. <laughs> gargoyles is very good, and everyone should watch it. But there's absolutely nothing subtextual that you can read about Lexington that's gay. I mean, it's there's nothing that you can find in an episode that signifies homosexuality. Um, but... Because someone said, like, that was the intention, and there were comics that came out later that sort of explored it a little bit, therefore it's canon, and it carries more weight than somebody saying that maybe Broadway or maybe even Goliath was gay, you know? This is, why, 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 why wouldn't that be valid? Yeah. Anyway, plenty, plenty of characters have been stated to be gay after the fact. And then there's also things that are somewhat subtle, but that have been confirmed by the author, such as um, a character from How How to Train Your Dragon. Um, okay. That was uh, what was his name? It was uh, it, it was Gobber, the the blacksmith, who's mm. who's uh, like a like a pretty good friend. He's he's word of game. He's yeah. He he had a remark that was like. This is why I never married that and one other reason. And it's like, because the other reason is that he's gay. But it could have been anything. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, throwaway um, lines, they count for this trope, for this word of gay trope. Just plenty of yeah. examples and I mean, of it. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff, like, in literature, too, um... Like the and I guess musicals, right. um, but like Wicked is a great example of like which character was confirmed a little... gay there. No one's confirmed. This isn't the word of gay. This is maybe even more queer. The mating. lion, it, the um, lion is is super gay, and I I I love him. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I was just gonna say Glinda and Alphaba, but like right. cool the lion. Although I'm into you it. know they're by. At the very least, because Elphaba definitely gets together with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Figaro. Yeah. That's a pretty clear texture. Right, exactly. They're queer in some way. Like, they've both been with Figaro, but, like, also they both want to be with each other. They'd make a nice thruple, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Where are all the thruples (laughs) in media? Honestly, it solves so many goddamn shipping problems. (laughs) It really Um, would. Like, I think also a great example, and these were books that I loved reading as a kid, um, and that, like, as I read them, as I got older, too, um, I was actually really excited to see this, Um, but Tamora Pierce's work. um, I'm not familiar. Who, so basically, um, when I went and saw Brave, I was like, oh, you mean the shit that Tamora Pierce has been doing for decades? (laughs) (laughs) um she just writes cool badass stories about cool badass ladies doing cool badass stuff in the fantasy world 
and there are often lots of horses. You gotta um, have the horses, and, or it's not feminist. Uh, so <laughs> she, um, there's a, according to her, she has a very active Tumblr blog um, that she posts on quite okay. frequently. Um, she has stated before that, like, the outpouring of appreciation for when she did include a canonically gay character, because a lot of her stories, she would come out and say, like, word of gay. Right. Like, yeah, this person is, like, gay. Um, but no one cared but then, until they did. Well, no, people people cared, but then um, she would, like, you know, she, again, she's been writing for decades, right. like, since the 80s, maybe earlier. Um so, like, things have definitely changed since the 80s, course. and you can include more gay people in children's literature, thank God. Oh, uh, thank that guy. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think that guy's God. <laughs> oh, God, this is a controversial <laughs> episode. Um, anyway. Let's let's invite the controversy. Let's be as controversial <laughs> as possible. Let's talk about... Tweet at us about Jesus. No, Let's talk please. about Jesus being um, gay. <laughs> That's that's my yeah, yo, reading of the honestly, Bible. Can I just say though, Jesus Christ Superstar, all that yes. stuff between Judas and Jesus is that's queer bait. Oh, subtextually queer. It's absolutely, um, and I think that Jesus think is gay, and I I'm not afraid is... to say it. <laughs> um, but let's let's take a trip back to to Korra. <laughs> yeah, let's let's journey um, to the world of the Avatar, which I love so dearly. Yeah. Um, this one Korra is complicated. Because <laughs> it was written really jaggedly in that I'm I'm kind of a fan of seasons one and three, and I really hate seasons two and four with a burning passion. But the reason that I hate season four has basically nothing to do with Korasami, which is yeah. it's fine. It's I like it's bordering it. on word of gay, is basically what I would say. See, I disagree because I'll say this. I some a lot of people say that stuff started in season three, and I think of course not. It really their relationship as like maybe maybe a relationship started in like the last episode, right? Um, but I will say this: the moment that season four started, and you find the, out that Cora yes. is only writing letters to asami like i was like oh oh they're very gay like i immediately picked up on it as it being romantic so this wasn't something that i picked up on just because of what i've been trained to do by um brian kanitsko and michael dante DiMartino, the writers um the creators of the avatar universe they've trained me so much to only ship people who literally explicitly say that they're into each other because <laughs> no one, no one honestly ships Zutara anymore. Uh, this has essentially be been destroyed, but they're all, they're all well aware that it'll never have happened canonically. Yeah, but that doesn't they stop all the know. enjoyment of them shipping Of it. course it's, but like, this is what I'm saying is I was not trained to try and pick up on hints because that's not what Avatar does. Avatar doesn't do hints. They do full episodes about a love triangle between two women and a guy fighting over a guy. Like, this is this is what they do. This is how they write. And 
they they the way that they wrote even in season even in book four the way that they wrote Bolin and Opal's relationship was like all the characters explicitly talking out loud about how into each other they are to the point where it's like just so obvious even to the characters that they just sort of get together um without any like fuss yeah um the or or the way that they handle um Kai and Jenora in like the first couple episodes where literally like in the middle of like a prison break Jenora will just kiss Kai on the cheek because they're they're a couple they're a pairing they're a ship they're together now they're together and the way that even like Sokka and um and his two love interests were were handled um the the moon and the the fan girl yeah literal fans on a literal girl um they they were also both like the plot explains that they're into each other rather than us having to find hints so if we're gonna look at the hints that they did provide I think you can like argue pretty easily against them being romantic. Um, I see. Right? I don't know. I mm, like. I so disagree because I so read their relationship as romantic from the beginning of season four, at the very least. Um, well, let me let me talk about the hints that people always point to. I mean, I'm f- fully willing to admit that this is a bias on my part that I I typically see heter- heterosexual you know, couples before I see homosexual couples. But, like, the if the evidence is that Korra was only comfortable writing to Asami, literally her only female friend, about problems with feeling vulnerable, and the people that she's choosing not to write to are her teacher, who she's always trying to impress and seem powerful to. Yeah. Um, her former lover who is a terrible person <laughs> and has no way to relate emotionally to anyone yeah. and Bolin who is a child yeah. like if these are if these are her options like of course she wouldn't write to anyone else yeah but like also that doesn't mean that the only other person that she feels she can relate to emotionally isn't also like a romantic. Right. I mean, thing. certainly that's possible, but if they were just friends, would it like really be any different? And like you go like the scene where I people say typically yes, say that it started I, like Okay, go ahead. To me, like like Cora doesn't have friends really. Like I think like, Of course she does. What do you mean? Well, I mean like here's the thing, she's friends with Mako and Bolin, sure, but like she doesn't have like a close like she never had like a best friend growing up you know like we don't get a lot right. of like Cora's child like she just spent years training and was around older people all the time you know like she's around like Katara and Tenzin and like other bending masters and just like, like this is true but she doesn't seem to like take age into account when making friends she's also friends with the airbending kids and you know, she'll, she'll befriend, like, anybody that you just kind of force her to but, interact but with. But, like, here's the thing. I don't think she's, like, actually, she's friendly with them, but I don't think they're friends. You know? Like, okay. Cora's not going to call them up on a Saturday night to, like, hang out, you know? 
Um, so, like, this is all the more reason that she would find solace in her one female friend, right? But, like, to me, like, Cora is so solitary, and so the act of reaching out in that way, it felt significant to me because it wasn't, because it was this deeper emotional connection. Um, right, and the only deep emotional connection that she really forms throughout the show that isn't a like father-daughter relationship or teacher-student. All right, I'll, I'll grant you that. And so, like, to me, this is the deepest bond that she has with someone. And, like, I can understand someone reading that as friendship, but also at the same time, like, again, like, flip the genders, and I think you'd suddenly be like, oh, they're awfully close, you know? I just, I just, I don't think that I would. And it, it, it goes back to the fact that I, I never shipped Zutara is that I, I, if they, if there's explicit evidence of every other relationship in the show, why would you expect me to, to, to pick up on hints for this one? Because they're cowards. <laughs> I don't know. Because they're cowards. That's why. Make it gay or you're all cowards. Um. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what it's like to work at Nick. They did what they could, maybe, but maybe they could have done more. But, like, also... And they probably... People probably will do more on Nick in the future. Make it fucking gay, are you cowards? Um, But then a lot of times what happens is, as has happened with Cora, like, I would say the ending is pretty explicit. Like, hey, this is more than friendship. Right. That was the thing, is once you get to that scene, then I'm like, oh... Okay, this you know, this recontextualizes a bunch of scenes that I saw before. But you but you know, it doesn't work if you can't solve the equation without seeing the answer. Like that's that's the, to me that's the wrong way to develop a relationship and to provide representation in general. Yeah. It's just uh it's just like how gay were they really? They definitely, I don't think they were gay in season three. That's fine. People but say like, that they were. Know, sexuality evolves. And I think, again, for Cora, like, I really question how many romantic relationships she had growing up. Well, you know? let me just, let me just say that well, if, if I was writing a romantic pairing, I would probably have the two characters at least share some scenes together okay but did you count the letter writing scenes because those are pretty gay which scenes the the letter writing scenes okay but that's one letter and like here's the content of the letter is like i miss well this is what was actually read out loud okay they did write other letters but we don't know what the content of those are so this is the clues that we have asami writes I miss you. It's not the same here without you. Like, I don't know how explicit that is. But then Cora just starts talking about herself. She's just like, sorry, I haven't written, but this is really hard for me. And, you know, it's easier to tell you this stuff than Mako and Bolin, but I'm kind of just dealing with my own shit right now. Like, it's not, they're not talking about, like, what they miss about each other or what they hope to do when they reconnect, or anything to that effect. It's more just like the way that you would write to any friend that you haven't seen in a while. And like, as as gay as those are, like, you can count on one hand the other scenes that they share in that season, because most of the characters are pretty split up. Right. So you've got, in book four, um, you've got 
the first real evidence of them showing of them having feelings for each other is in episode seven when they finally get back together and they hug and it's literally the first hug I think they've ever shared in the show. Like again, Bolin has fine. hugged Asami more than Korra has. But again, I think that's fine. Like especially is it? Yeah, because at least for me, I feel like. Cora's never really had a relationship before. She comes to the big city. Oh, boy. But she hugs then... everybody else. She hugs Bolin. She hugs Tenzin, Janora. Like, the fact that the hug with the person we're supposed to, like, this is the final ship, and she's literally never even expressed, like, the slightest bit of affection towards her until book four, that's They say some that's cute rough. stuff about Cora's hair. Yeah, they, they talk about hair, yeah. First hug... I love you. I love your new haircut because it it's a gay haircut. And Cora blushes. Um, yeah, Cora Cora blushes and says you're looking snazzy, <laughs> which is okay. <laughs> but like you know, if if the like my pro, like that scene is real evidence. It's actual solid evidence that they're a couple. But they're not a couple at this point yet. They're just having a flirtation, and I think Cora is just discovering her bisexuality personally. Of course she is. I mean, that's absolutely correct. But So, like, it's fine that it's not, still. like, as explicit as her insta-love with Maka, which is also garbage, and, like, I hate a lot of the <laughs> romance on this show. Um, right, but at least they express some attraction. Bolin expresses attraction to Korra as well. It's visible, and it's not Yeah, but it's fake. annoying also. But, like, I also don't think this is fake. Like, I don't know. They they just sort of forget about it whenever they're not on screen. So they're together for episodes seven and eight. The show is bad. Okay, <laughs> it's good, but it's bad. Sorry, fans Guys, of Cora. Guys, Cora is good, but it's bad. It's no, both. okay. If it's you think confusing. it's good, that's fine. I just think it's got a lot of. It had so much potential, but they just. We'll talk about Cora again. Maybe we'll talk about it when the third part of Turf Wars comes yeah, out. Yeah, maybe that'll be a good thing. Um, that'll be the the way that we do it. But honestly, like, there's so much to talk about in Cora and to pick apart and the differences. But when it comes down to it, it's bad, but there's some good things about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like after episode seven and eight of book four, they like they don't even talk to each other again until episode 13, the finale. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's like they, like you would, if you wanted to suggest to an audience that two characters had a meaningful relationship, you would at least put them alone in the same room together to just talk about what's going on in the world when there's giant robots <laughs> made of platinum. <laughs> hey, listen, do you want to know what, um, Cora's fatal flaws. Giant robots made of platinum. No, it's pacing. It's really, really, really. It, honestly, yes. Really, honestly, honestly, really yes. bad at pacing. Yep. It just doesn't know what to do with all of the ideas it have has so or if what you, needs if the you, most screen time to earn the right endings. Right. And like. So if you re-edited the show so that it made sense, probably. Yeah. All of these. All of these scenes between Korra and Asami, they would make sense in that context. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Is if it was re-edited to be a, like a good show? <laughs> I mean, I think re-editing it to be a good show would require cutting some stuff and adding <laughs> some other things. But... Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> in my... But, like, that's nonsense. Like, it's all fiction. Just the fact it's... that Asami has, like, whole episodes with no dialogue. The fact that Listen, she's just tossed aside, like, huge... trash... 
a huge disservice to her character most of the Absolutely. time. And she's sort of a little bit redeemed in season four. I just feel like, you know, you could have brought in like any character with just as little screen time and had Cora and, and, and them get together. Yeah. She could have been with Julie. Yeah, or, that's true, honestly. I like don't think I can disagree with that. Or, you know, anybody. Janora. They had I mean Cora and Janora have a spiritual connection that's actually commented on that's true. in an episode earlier than season four. That's true. So, I think the age difference know, is a little weird, but I mean, you know, just give it a couple of years. <laughs> what, what how old is Janora supposed to be at the end of the show? Like sixteen? And Cora's like twenty? Yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know, give it like five years. That's a that's little fine. weird. Yeah, whatever. As someone who has a sister who's five years younger than me, and, like, I know her friends, it's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, that that's something. But then, you know, the the good that comes out of Korosami, I think, kind of comes from the Turf Wars comic book. Because you have this extended universe thing. It's explicit. That, that makes it explicit. That it's a this is a comic released by Dark Horse and it's written by um, Michael Dante DiMartino, um, so there is some authority there and um, it just kind of goes into the history of homosexuality in the Avatar universe as a whole. Okay, that's so kind of all of this is all of this is dictated by Kaya, who we find out is also gay. Okay. So this is a, this is like a, a pretty clear word of gay because there is no evidence in the show that Kaya, which is Tenzin's sister, Ang and Katara's daughter, um, that sh- she is um, a lesbian, and so she has some knowledge about this. Basically, the Airbenders were always completely open about everything because we have to martyrize them as much as anybody. So they they had tons of gay relationships all the time and there was no problem. Um, and then you have the uh, waterbenders who are somewhat okay with it, but they're they're very private about everything. So they you know they they're just like you know someone's private business should be their own. And then earthbenders are very repressive and homophobic, and. Firebenders used to be okay with really the Earthbenders are homophobic. Yeah, that's what they that's what they're going with. Why do you do you disagree with that? They're based on like no, China. no, because there's a lot of like fan theories about Toph being very gay. right. But like the, this is exactly the point, right? Is that she never came out with yeah. it, and she started dating two different men and had children with them, and then left them. So. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah. I think Toph is is way more coded gay than Katara, or sorry, than um, Korra or Korra. Asami is. But you know, yeah. whatever she can do, whatever she wants, she's Toph. Um, Live your best life. So and then, f- uh, as far as f- the Fire Nation, they used to be open and accepting, but then Sozin was homophobic and ruined everything. So again, like... Because he's a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. The bad guys are homophobic and the good guys are not. So this is just the kind of very, very basic coding that... Uh, moral coding that, that they're using. What were you going to say? It's Like, that frustrates me, though, because one of the great things about Avatar was the fact that it really tried to blur those lines sometimes. Like... 
the water tribe was sexist and the earth kingdom was fascist and like some people in the fire Fire nation Nation just wanted love (laughs) well but like and also the fire nation you know it had a pretty equal gender balance in its ranks and it was one of the only few nations that had that yeah that's true i mean i think it's weird because in the in the comic and admittedly this is only the second part of of a three-part series is that sure. um the whole first part is centered around Cora coming out to her friends and family and all of her friends and family are totally cool with it but it's heavily implied that there's a social stigma against it and like you would expect in a story about coming out like you would expect them to encounter some kind of prejudice from somebody that they knew when they know people from such vastly different walks of life, right. you know, various ages and, you know, ideas of morality. I It's interesting because I'm wondering at what point, because this is a, like a big important thing. Like we want art to be honest and real, but also at the same time, art especially like this is very wish fulfillment and very escapist right i would say that this is generally positive right in this particular instance because they've also done so much with like yeah there are still gender roles in this society but women pretty much can do whatever the fuck they want right without too much comment um you have a woman fire lord and in uh cora and you have women chief of police and women, right. you know, women everything. So why not gay everything too? <laughs> but you need right. to kind of establish why in universe Korra and Asami didn't come out to everybody immediately. So for that reason... Well, isn't the reason that they went immediately into a spirit world vacation? Um, Yes, but like, I mean, they knew that they were attracted to each other before that, but they didn't come out to each other because they were afraid of stigma if the if the emotions were not reciprocated. At least that's how I read it. Okay. That, you know, that's, it's a somewhat in-universe reason for why it wasn't more explicit than it was. Yeah. But you could argue... Because they were t- You could argue that it doesn't other. really even matter because every single one of their friends and family is, like, totally cool with it. Except for Cora's father, who's like, I'm cool with it, but maybe you should, like, keep it a secret so that the public doesn't hate you <laughs> and try to kill you. But that's, like, a pretty okay. common fatherly response i would say yeah parental in general is uh you know fear if somebody comes out right. um even though they personally support it but it's still problematic to ask someone to stay in the closet just because you're well, and I mean, worried like, about their safety and i'll also say this uh, like even if you are pretty sure your parents will be accepting and cool and like you never really know you never know and like people do react differently when they find out it's with their own kid than with it's with some hypothetical other person. Right. It's true. Um, but in this case, it was there were no real consequences. But in this case, it was fine. Yeah. I guess that's, so. that's basically what I'm saying is it is wish fulfillment in the sense that there's no real consequences, but they do want to address the existence of these problems in general. So I would say right. that the well, Turf Wars comic is a pretty solid example of representation. I just wish that it could have right. been part of and the I animation. And I think it's something that manages to avert the gay baiting. Trope yeah, I would say it's a pretty strong aversion. Instead of 
teasing it. It's just like, for no, those first couple months after that episode dropped, I was firmly in that this is gay bait. This is, you know, this is just the writers trying to tell us what they were. I don't know. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's a complicated issue, I would say. Yeah. Um, well, since we're already in the animation world, do you want to talk about the gayest show that we have? Um, well, I, I didn't want to talk about that just yet because I want to talk more about American animation real quick. Okay, yeah. Because there is other, you know, representation that is explicit and that is in the show and that has been confirmed, but you didn't really need their confirmation to believe it, which is Adventure Time with Bubbleine or Marsa yes. Gum. Marceline, <laughs> yeah. Marceline the Vampire and Bubble, Princess Bubblegum. Yeah, who... It's very clear text, like not even subtext, that they had a previous relationship that broke up for whatever reason, um, but they still have, you know, a close friendship that sort of reforms as the show progresses. Um, and that's right. like somewhat present even in like, I think it's Marceline's second episode. Uh, no, I th maybe it's the third or something where Finn is uh, trying to ask a princess bubblegum out to uh to the movies and marceline is helping him um like kind of wingmanning him um but yeah. in kind of like a cheeky way by like teasing uh princess bubblegum and and she's like marceline you're so immature cuz they dated um so it's present yeah. like from the first scene that the two of them share together but it's not explicit until much later where you start learning about how they had a t-shirt and they had a sure they had a relationship um so you know that's that's the kind of like queer baiting if you would call it that because they never use the words gay or lesbian or date or relationship and you never see them kiss or hold hands or anything but you know that that is a part of their life and their history right without having to be told yeah. So I guess that that would be the stuff that I would support. And then of course Steven Universe which is able to avoid everything Universe. just by being like, well they're not really women. They're rocks. <laughs> but but they're gay ladies. But they're not humans, they're rocks. Okay. Yeah, cool. And like Stevani isn't maybe technically a non-binary person cuz she's literally two people. I mean they're literally two people. I don't know. But, like, I think they are one. I don't know. I think Stefani's non-binary. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's everyone would probably quantify them as that. But uh, you could argue to a censor that it's not an example of non-binary gender. Right. But, like, I don't know. By saying that they're two people. So much of that show is, like, pretty unapologetically gay. Yeah. And, like, in I think it was France? Please correct me if I'm I wrong. I think it was the but UK. But I think... There was the UK. What? I think it was the UK censored it. Did the U? I thought it was France it was that both. censored it because the UK is chiller about that yeah, stuff. It's, it's not that chill. The UK is still a place of of turmoil in terms of censorship sure. with the with the children. But uh, maybe it was France. I don't remember. There was definitely censorship going on. Yeah, someone censored the kiss between Ruby and Sapphire right. when they reunite to form Garnet. Spoilers. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that can possibly be a spoiler anymore that's basically a selling point <laughs> exactly and well and so i think that's like a really positive example of it for sure 
of people doing gay media correctly is like here the gayness of this is the selling point <laughs> and i promise it's going to be paid off you're not just going to be queer baited around right. like and like one of the main points of conflict is the fact that Pearl had a big thing with Rose, right. Stephen's mom, and like... And it's complicated, and Rose was bi, or, you know, whatever. Pan, or whatever. Made out of rocks. They're all rocks. <laughs> they, if you want rocks to be they're gay... They're all rocks with boobs, though. You, right, but they're, like, they're all rocks in that they have... There's no distinction between genders that they have. So if you want to, like, if you true. were literally to hold up two rocks, have them kiss and be like, these rocks are gay, like, you wouldn't be wrong, <laughs> but they're rocks. I mean, as someone who would turn literally anything I could get my hands on into a character right. as a child, like, I once made my finger, like, I like didn't even draw <laughs> your, on them or anything. I fingers. just, like, this finger's, like, the dad, this finger's mom, you know, like... <laughs> Like, we put our own shit onto Absolutely. stuff all the time. That's what I'm saying, like, is that someone could easily see two rocks kissing, literal rocks, and be like, "These, this is a girl rock and this is a boy rock. The fun thing is to be like, no, they're, none of them are boys or girls. They're just rocks. <laughs> I think, I just think clearly textually we're getting... What about robots? What about robots, Hannah? Women. What about what about transformers? Yeah, robots are often gendered bizarrely. Robots are gendered, and but are they gay? We don't see any gay yeah, robots. This is my biggest problem gendered. with robots. Oh, I for sure think they're gay robots. Gosh, wait, I have to think of some. Well, but I know that I've seen. Oh, gay robots. you know what? There is a gay robot. Um, Larry from Time Squad. Do you remember this cartoon? Nope. Oh man, this is like a really obscure. It was a Cartoon Network show called Time Squad. I loved it. It was about like an orphan who gets picked up by a time traveling robot and it's then a time cop, and they go around fixing history. Um, and apparently, this is another word of gay that uh, the creator said that Larry the robot was supposed to be gay. Go figure. Okay. So shout out to all my Time Squad fans. Oh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, we said Battlestar Galactica. But I'm just saying they're gay oh, robots. Right, that's true. They are robots. I just because they're because they're so humanized, you know, it's almost hard to like call them yeah. robots. I know. But yeah, gay robots. We need more gay robots. Transformers should have gay robots. Um, but I guess that probably won't happen in the movies, at least, because Michael Bay also, doesn't believe what does in gay people. Gender even mean. <laughs> Alien Apparently, there are comics aliens. that explore the idea of Transformers gender, okay. but you know, I just can't muster because there are girl robots sort of in Transformers. Enthusiasm. There's just very few of them. Well, <sighs> check out Lindsay Ellis's yeah. uh, analysis of uh, Transformers <laughs> for more Transformers gender because I don't know I don't know anything about Transformers. <laughs> um. Yeah. Same. We can move away from the the Western animation for now. Let's uh All let's right. take a look let's, overseas. Let's wrap this bad boy up with some some Yuri. Yeah, some Yuri Yowie. Some Yowie involving men named Yuri. Some Yowie on ice. Two men named Yuri. A lot of Yuris. Yes. And this Yowie. Yuri on ice is <laughs> basically the same as every other Pashonen sports anime, except 
that they get like fake married at the end. Yeah. Which is weird because neither of the countries that they're from allow gay marriage. Also, there's a lot more nudity. Um, is there more nudity than in other Bishonen, though? I think... I mean, to be fair, I haven't watched a lot of Bishonen, but, like... This isn't for... It's not for me, so I, I haven't watched much of it. This was a g- pretty enjoyable, considering, like, I, I, I'm not so drowning in Bishonen tropes all the time. Here's the thing. I don't know. Everyone's hot. Everyone is geeking out over all these hot men. So the plot of Yuri on Ice, for people who don't know, is there's a young ice skater uh, named Yuri, um, and the show opens with him basically fucking up his career, and he kind of comes home real depressed. Um, And then at the behest of one of his friends, he does a ice skating performance of his favorite ice skater who he's been obsessed with forever who's this like hot the guy best of ice skating skater victor. of all time world record breaker yeah. victor victor he's, <coughs> and he's sexy and russian and is like a silver fox at like 26 or something um or maybe he's like 30 i don't right. know <laughs> um they're all like pretty young because athletes yep. um but so he does this ice skate and it goes viral uh and then victor comes to japan and is like all right i'll coach you (laughs) and there's another yuri a russian yuri who was supposed to be coached by victor who ends up also following him to japan and there's lots of fun three-way sexual tension between them and like rival for competing for the affection of the the senpai and it's all Oh, it's very senpai notice me. It's very, very much so. It's this, it's very clear that Victor is like is... the in the Yaoi dichotomy, you have the, the seme and the uke. Um <laughs> and very clearly Victor is seme. And it's just very funny hearing you use those words. <laughs> I've never used them before. I don't know if I'm using them right. No, I believe you are, but I just it's Oh boy, it's just very humorous because they're not words that I ever thought would come <laughs> from you. Well, I just just I, from what I know of you, you as know, a person. I need to do research on on beautiful boys for yeah. science reasons. It's all for yeah. science. It's for science. It's not gay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so like but you know, yeah. this is like a very classic dynamic, and Yuri on Ice doesn't really do that much different with it until you get to like the end of the show where they have an implied kiss and they have um implied marriage. Yeah. Like they, I'll say this. I think they really develop the relationship between them in a really strong way, but not in a realistic way. What do you mean? Well, I mean, it's, it's never treated like an option for them to just be like out and face the consequences of discrimination, it's always treated like everyone looks at them like they're like cute, like a cute little doll and his doll mate. Um, like yeah. it's always kind of like, like, uh, you know, even when literally Yuri gives Victor a, a wedding band, a, a, a an engagement ring, it's played a like, gold metal band. it's played like, uh, <laughs> 
it, it, it's played like, oh no, I didn't mean for it to be a marriage proposal. It was just a good luck charm. And it's like, no, it wasn't. What do you? Yeah. It's very interesting too, because um, like people have claimed like, oh, maybe it's Japanese censorship. But it's like, not. It for sure isn't. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of actual gay representation, even in anime. Um, yeah. It's weird that like, even when they kiss, there's an arm covering it up. Like, this yeah. is strange. Also, apparently, this show aired at, like, basically butt o'clock in the morning, <laughs> so it's not even, like, protect the little ones. Right. This is not for the little ones. This is for us us weeaboo trash and, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting decision to have the kiss blocked and to have a lot of people, despite what we're being shown right. via music and, like, shot composition and a lot of other stuff. Right. <laughs> like, what we're textually being shown is, like, clearly this is a relationship to then have characters saying things Oh, that no, I didn't mean it like that. that. Right, or to talk sort of around the right. issue instead of so about So, like, Victor it. is, like, saying to Yuri, like, oh, I, I love you, let's have a slumber party and, like, touch each other. And Yuri just gets, like, <laughs> embarrassed, like, oh, my God, he's saying that and he doesn't even realize that I'm attracted to him. And it's like, no, you're both clearly attracted to each other and want to have a slumber party. Right. Well, okay, I will say this. There is some, there's an interesting misunderstanding that happens in that basically a year before the events of Yuri and Ice takes place, um... Yuri, Japanese Yuri, had gotten drunk at a party and basically blacked out and then, like, danced with all the other ice skaters at this crazy party um, and it basically hit on Victor. Um, so Victor thought, like, oh, look at this outgoing crazy guy. And then that is not who Yuri normally He's very is. okay. Yeah. He's, I don't... I, um, I still don't know the connotation of that, but... He's like a little, he's like a cute little boy who don't know nothing about, about romance. In fact, mm -hmm. to the point where he has to, he says that like he can't dance as a seductor. He has to be the one who is seduced. Like this is explicit text is that he's skating like a girl because he wants Amazing. to be the one who is pursued. Right. So this is problematic. In, this is problematic in one sense because it presents some kind of dichotomy between tops and bottoms in uh, in gay relationships that isn't always there. Right. Um, For sure. And, like, I'm not going to get into, like, power bottoms and, you know, all the, <laughs> all of the, God, uh, all the God, it's always sunny like, tropes of... How many words can David say that I didn't expect him to say that actually make a lot of sense for him to say, but just... Somehow didn't expect it. Um, I I knew I know about power bottoms, Hannah. I don't I don't know if you. I mean, I know you know about them. Again, it's just not like. Do you think that Yuri is a power we bottom? We don't talk about power bottoms a lot. No. <laughs> no. Yuri is. Old but Yuri O. Yuri O is a power bottom. Yuri O is a power bottom. Are you kidding me? All right. <laughs> so that's it's concluded. Um, in conclusion, for this entire <laughs> podcast. Yurio is a power bottom, and Yuri is a bottom, <laughs> and Victor is a top. God. The end. Oh, boy. Catch us next week. <laughs> or next time. When? Um, what wow. else is there to say? Um, I think, 
so like I don't know Yuri on Ice I think falls into an interesting gray area that a lot of these other shows don't where there's an incredible amount of textual evidence like literally half of the text is pointing to yes this is gay (laughs) but then there's like a fourth of it that's like oh but maybe not yeah it's the all of the text is gay but the framing of that text is that it's a joke or that it's cutesy, or that it's right. it's it's never likely to result in a real actual relationship. Yeah. Um, but like, it clearly is a real actual right. relationship. Right. Just so one written it's by. Just like, where do we go from here? It'll be interesting. There's talk of it getting a second That's season. That's true. We don't know so... what's going to happen. They could actually start to break it apart mm-hmm. and and treat it seriously. Um, Maybe this, like, I think this might be a topic that we return to revisit. Yeah. We've really only scratched when... the surface, and like we yeah. need a whole lot more research. Um, one thing that give us examples yeah. of your least favorite gay baby shows. Yeah, we want to talk more about uh, comics next time. Um, we want to talk more about characters that are you know pan or asexual, and that are you know revealed afterwards. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, but we didn't really get a chance to, is that there was a comic character, um, a DC superhero named Triumph who was confirmed as gay by one writer after he finished his run but then when it was when the character was passed on to other writers they didn't get the memo and so the character was written mm. as straight with female love interests so right you know th- that just yeah, plays like into how the that continuity changes yeah like why does one author have more validity than another author you know, to say what's canon about a, a character's sexuality. Keep the SJWs out of comics. Yeah, why do we keep trying to, like, force gays into comics? What's wrong with us? Yeah, comics have literally never been gay. <sighs> They're uh, always super gay. <laughs> they just weren't allowed to say it because there were laws against it. There was a literal comics ah, code. Ah, those pesky laws. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I... Did we get anywhere? I think we just vented about gay baiting. We just vented about gay baiting. We don't have too much to add to the conversation other than... If you have anything to add to the conversation... I think that the only thing that I would say that sort of expands on stuff that I haven't seen elsewhere would be um, that I think that though I definitely have a bias that I'm more likely to see heterosexual relationships... I think that people in the LGBT community are more likely to see queer relationships. They have a bias towards seeing those when, even when they aren't there or even when they're being very, very subtly alluded to. Would you agree with that? Okay. Um, yes, but like, I mean, we're all biased. We're all biased towards seeing those relationships. And so I don't think I mean, it's... there's a reason people ship Zutara, even, like, right. which isn't even queer, but, like, But has... they have a bias. Right. But, like, I think going back to what you were saying, if you think you can find textual evidence for it and present then it's an super argument, valid. like, it might be a really valid interpretation of that sure. text. Sure, yeah. But you also have to understand that not everyone will see it that way. Right. But, like, I feel like gay people have to do so much understanding in their lives that, like, they get right. it. <laughs> so maybe that's the thing to take away from it is all of your fanfics are canon now go write them yeah. and write them as gay as humanly canon. possible 
Um, and after you write them, you can send them to us and we'll, uh, on Twitter at Talking Tropes. Absolutely. And we'll share them if they're really good. And if they're really bad, <laughs> Maybe we'll probably do too. a fun episode just about your gayest fanfics. Yes. Dig um, them out of your like old file folders, your, your really old fan fictions. We want to see them. Or the fan fictions you wrote yesterday. Yes. But I think a lot of just people just have those those old folders that they haven't looked at in years, and they don't quite remember just how sexual Thank you. it was. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, you can also find us at our Patreon. Which will um, include a link. And, yeah. Uh, anything else from you, David? Um, nope, just remember, uh, it's the year of that guy, 2018, people. So stay gay. Make it gay. Bye.